Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, the Bible says, and it shall come, and, and uh, uh, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And it says, or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, Will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? How many of you believe God knows, already knows what you need before you ask? How many believe that? God knows. Then pray tell me, why did he tell us to ask, seek, and knock? Because there are keys to accessing what God already wants to give you. There are things that we have to do because in operating our faith through asking, seeking, and knocking, we access the resources of heaven. And so today, for the next few moments, I want to speak on this subject, knocking on heaven's door. Knocking on heaven's door. Now, if you grew up in the 60s and 70s, you probably heard knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Uh, Bob Dylan, I think it is, right? And, uh, but before Bob Dylan wrote the song, is, is that right, Bob Dylan? Is that his name? Anyway, I figure we have some people that would know. Before he wrote that, the principle of knocking on heaven's door is a biblical principle that we can knock on the door of heaven. He was talking about knocking on heaven's door because you're about to die. But this passage talks about knocking on heaven's door to get open to you, receiving what it is that you need to from God. So let's praise the Lord right now and, and ask God to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we've come here today for an adjustment because our minds get out of line. There are things in this world that pull on us, emotions, experiences that pull us out of alignment. And today we want your word to realign our thoughts so that they're in alignment with your word so that you can do what you want to in our lives. And even though today we may not hear something novel or something we've never heard before, it's going to be something we've heard before. But in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would use this word to adjust our thoughts uh, back into alignment, Lord God, so that we would begin to practice the very thing that will put your resources into our hands. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is clear. It's going to give us direction and it's going to bring transformation. Amen. Now I want you to put your hand on your own chest and we want to pray for ourselves right now as this is a word for, for me today. Lord God, I pray that you'd open my ears and my heart today to receive. And I pray, Lord God, that when I hear the word, that I wouldn't hear it in such a way that I just hear it and nod my head and go on. But let me take it and apply it so that it brings transformation to my life, transformation to my thinking. We thank you, Lord God, right now that you're going to do a work in me and my ears and my heart are open to hear from you. And in the name of Jesus, we claim it right now. And everybody shout out, amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you, and, and you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Amen. We all know, or most of us do, about the power of prayer. And uh, we all know as well that uh, we probably should be doing more of it. 
Uh, I doubt if very many of us here today feel like we pray enough or that we pray uh, a satisfactory amount. And at different times and seasons in life, we get really motivated about prayer, but then life happens and we get distracted. We know that prayer works, uh, but we don't practice it regularly other than maybe when you come to church or when it's time to eat your meals when you think of it. But deep down, there's something in us that longs for intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Intimacy has to do with openness and, and connectedness. And um, whenever there, is, there are issues in a marriage, maybe one of the partners is involved in an affair, and so there's something that's closed off and it impacts intimacy. And in our relationship with God, when we allow sin into our life, we begin to cover. And uh, there, there begins to grow distance between us and the Lord. But there's something inside of each and every one of us, whether we're faithful to church or whether we're just visitors today, that knows that there is a place that we can get where we're close and we're intimate with God, that secret place where we can trust him and walk with him daily. But our lives so busy and we have so much to do and uh, in the world that we live in there are plenty of opportunities for distraction and entertainment and uh, as you probably noticed this week this last week when you made a commitment not to feast on entertainment just how addicted to entertainment you have found yourself and hopefully maybe you recognize that perhaps this last year you entertained your way out of intimacy with the Lord and God wants to restore that connection with you. And all of these things in life, whether it's uh, CNN or Fox News or Facebook or Instagram, all of these things are static and noise and distraction. And what happens is the discipline and the practice of prayer oftentimes gets left behind. And as with any other practice, when we lose the sense of purpose and the urgency behind the need for prayer, we'll just unknowingly or unconsciously abandon it. And then all of a sudden the thought hits us, hey, you know what? I was supposed to be praying. I should be doing this. So why is prayer neglected so often in the life of a believer? I think there's, one of the reasons is, is we forget how much we need to pray and how much it's going to impact our lives. We kind of forget that. That And here's the assumption. I've shared this before, but I want to remind you of this. The assumption, the way of thinking that sometimes we find ourselves uh, stuck in that uh, uh, undermines the practice of prayer is this, is that we're all children of God, and God loves to give good gifts to his children. So since we're his children, he's sovereign, he's going to do what he wants to do, then he's going to give us what he has for us. His will is going to be done in our lives. And this particular assumption will lead you to the practice of, I know that prayer is good. I know it's important. I know I need to be doing it. But if I don't, God's still got my back and, and all these blessings are going to come into my life. But I want to tell you today that there are things that God wants to give you that he won't give you until you ask. There are things that God wants to bring into your life that he wants you to be the one to knock on the door. See, think about this with me. This explanation worked for me. There is a, a, uh, 
a, a law in the United States for when you rent or lease property. When you rent and lease property to someone, even though you still own the property, you give up your rights of passage in that property. What does that mean? You, when you give domain, the power of domain to the renter, the person that owns it can't come walking through the house anymore without an invitation from the renter. So my wife and I and our family were renting space. Now we're living in a, 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 a townhouse in, in Glendora, but we understand that we don't own it. There's another gentleman that owns it, but we also understand that he can't come walking through our house at midnight and, and come uh, rummaging around in the, in the garage or in the fridge because he's given up rites of passage. This is the law of domain. And listen to me right now. Even though God owns everything and the heavens and the earth are his, when he took humanity and placed us on the earth, he gave us dominion. Are you guys understanding this right now? He gave us dominion over the earth, which means if we want the will of God to be done in our domain, we've got to invite him in. We've got to give him a space to come in and do what it is that he desires to do. Just like if in my rental property, if we had a problem with the, uh, uh, the water heater and uh, uh, the owner could do something about it, I've got to give him an invitation and say, can you come and fix this? That's why Jesus declared when he taught us to pray, he said, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Very simply, the will of God's already being done in heaven, but we got to pray to make it happen on the earth. That's why Jesus said, ask. That's why he said, seek. And that's why he declared that if we knock, that it shall be open unto us. Amen. So even though God is sovereign and controls all things, he has given us dominion of our region. He's given us dominion over this area. And so if we don't pray, God's not going to move in this area. You say, well, God wants revival everywhere. We would agree it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But isn't it amazing that this same God doesn't just start churches out of thin air? But he waits for people that know how to plug into his power source and declare that his will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to remind you today that we have power through God to declare it. And the Bible says if you bind it on earth, he'll contract bind it in heaven. If we declare it on the terrain, on this region, in this area, then we give him opportunity to move in the supernatural. That's why we circled this property last night at prayer. We declared, we made it plain, God. God, this is your space. We want you to work here. We want to invite your protection into this house. We want to invite your power and your anointing into this place. That's why we pray. Amen? We pray because we know that we, we uh, uh, give God an opportunity to move. And God has willed that if things on this earth are going to be changed, it begins with us, his covenant people. Amen? Now, I want to share with you that uh, prayer, like other practices, in order to become effective in it, you've got to practice it. And the more you practice, the better you are. Can we agree to that? 
the more we practice, the better. Could somebody grab me some water if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind? The more we practice, the better we get at it. And uh, there was a study that was done in uh, Berlin's, Berlin's Elite Academy of Music, a guy named Anders Ericsson. They did a study with musicians, and what they discovered with was, that here's how they did the study. They had all these violinists. They were about 20, 21 years of age, 19, 20, 21, 22, in this school, in this elite school. And they were able to divide them up into, based on their understanding, there was one group that were going to be world-class soloists. These were the cream of the crop. These were the ones that were going to make a good amount of money with their violin skills. And then there was a second group who were good violinists and could very likely have uh, a career in the symphony, even though they might not be the soloists. And then there was the third group. And the third group were those who were unlikely to play professionally. They were, they were uh, certainly above average, but based on their understanding, they were unlikely to play professionally. And what they discovered was, uh, among these groups, they, they did a little research and they found out that by the age of 20... The people that were in the average group, this is the, the third group we talked about. By the age of 20, they had, on average, logged about 4,000 hours of practice on their instrument. 4,000 hours. And then they discovered the ones that were good violinists and would likely be able to even have a career in the symphony, even though perhaps not a soloist, had logged, on the average, 8,000 hours of practice time and playing time by the age they were 20. Well, what about the world-class ones? The world-class soloists, they discovered, on the average, had logged 10,000 hours of playing time before they reached the age of 20. And they discovered that the, this magic number, if you would, of, of 10,000, that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve a level of mastery that's associated with being a world-class expert. But as they continued the study, they discovered that this was true not just with violin players, but with pretty much everything. Composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert piano players, chess players, even master criminals and what have you. They had put in the, the world class, the top of the class, the best of the best, had put in 10,000 hours. So it wasn't necessarily the level of talent, the level of skill, the background, or the family, but it was a certain amount of time that had been logged in that would determine which ones were going to be the very best. And it's fascinating as you look at this, you, you discover that your, your, your Bill Gates and your Steve Jobs, when the opportunity opened up for the computer industry to take off, they had already logged their 10,000 hours. The Beatles, when they had the opportunity to become world famous, they had already logged 10,000 hours of playing time, playing all night gigs in the United Kingdom while they were developing as a band. And over and over and over again, you see the this principle. And the principle is, it seems it takes the brain about that long to assimilate all that it needs to know to achieve true mastery. And I just wonder if prayer is any different. I wonder if our mastery of the ability 
through relationship with God and intimacy with him to see powerful things transpire is under the same type of understanding. See, prayer, prayer is a habit that needs to be cultivated. It's a discipline that needs to be developed and it's a skill that needs to be practiced. And I, I, today I don't want to reduce prayer to just logging time, like logging your prayer time in. But if you want to achieve mastery, it might take 10,000 hours. And this thing I know for sure that the bigger your dreams are, the harder you'll have to pray and the more persistent and consistent you will have to develop this habit. Amen. I have a, uh, uh, a person that um, I've been able to develop a relationship with connected to our family. In fact, he's a distant cousin, and his name is Alan Shalm. And uh, he is a missionary to uh, Pakistan, and he took his family there when his children were small. Now his children are raised and have children of their own. Uh, but Brother Shalm, when you meet him, you wouldn't be immediately impressed by his speaking ability and he would not bowl you over with his charming personality. He's rather quiet, quiet and uh, a rather timid personality. But he and his wife went to Pakistan when there was less than 10,000 constituents there among the uh, Pentecostal churches in the area. Now, just uh, for context here, Pakistan is an Islam nation, and they're very, very resistant to Christianity. In fact, you can get in trouble if you convert anybody to Christianity. But during their time in ministry there, the constituency of the United Pentecostal Church in Pakistan has gone well over 100,000. And in a Muslim nation, they had a crusade, and in the crusade, they had over 10,000 people show up in a Muslim nation and powerful miracles of healing, powerful deliverances, and, uh, and, it's, and it's this quiet, timid, shy individual that's the leader. But one thing I learned about him, his wife shared with us, and my dad concurred, my father, who's a, been a friend of him since uh, uh, they were young, said that this man's made a commitment to pray one hour every day day. And every day of his life, uh, his wife said, since they've been married, he's logged his hour of prayer. That includes days where they were on uh, uh, transcontinental flights. Uh, She would see him look down at his watch, click the button and then close his eyes. And she knew he's going in for his time in the presence of the Lord. And this was a man who had a relationship with God and had logged his 10,000 hours of connecting with the Lord in this skill, in this, in this uh, practice of prayer. And I remember one time when I was very sick, I was about 26 years of age and my appendix uh, was about to rupture and uh, I had appendicitis. I didn't know what was going on. I was writhing in the bed asking, saying, God, please take me to the other place. I just want to go to Heaven. This hurts so bad. Some of you have been there before. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, and I remember that Brother Sean was at the house, the house guest traveling through, and he came in with my dad. And dad said, can you pray for Rich? And he began to pray for me. And the minute he opened his mouth and began to speak that word of prayer, there was a powerful presence of God that accompanied his prayers. And I knew this was not the first time that this guy's prayed today. This is not the first time that this guy's had a communication with God today. But there is a skill. There's a practice that's... Uh, in play in his life and there's power and there's anointing. I don't know about you, amen, but I'm 44 years of age and I think it's time, hallelujah, I think it's time for me and I think it's time for us to get this kind of a connection with God where we know how to get a hold of the throne of grace. Praise God. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 5, it says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. 
certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't care about people. Finally, an honest politician. I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Amen. This, this parable, the story of the persistent widow, us what knocking on heaven's door looks like. It means knocking until your knuckles are raw, crying out until your voice is lost, pleading until your tears run dry. It's about praying through because if you pray through, God will come through. Come on, somebody. God will come through. And, and the phrase that's used here in this translation to describe the woman's persistence is this. He said, she is wearing me out. She's wearing me out. This is uh, terminology from boxing. When, when, you, when you're boxing somebody. And I wanna, when you're knocking on heaven's door, you're actually kind of going 12 rounds with God. You are persistent. Amen? And uh, when, when you have this kind of a prayer bout with God, it can be excruciating. It can be exhausting. But that is how the greatest prayer victories are won. Amen? Knocking on heaven's door is more than just words. It's blood, sweat, and tears. When you pray with determination until God answers, no matter how long it takes, it shows God that you are serious. Everybody say, you're serious. Jacob wrestled with an angel until the break of day. He said this, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I remember as a kid thinking, man, that's presumptuous. I think I'd be more polite to God. But he said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. That appears presumptuous to us, but something about God, God loves that. He said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. There's something about the tenacity of a person that says, I believe God and I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep, I know God knows what I want, but his word says, if you ask, you'll receive. And if you seek, you will find. Amen. And desperate times call for desperate measures. And there is no more desperate an act than knocking on heaven's door and praying until you get the answer. Now, uh, in the story of the, the, the woman, this widow woman, we don't know what the actual injustice was that took place, but there is somebody that did her wrong. We do know is that she would not take no for an answer. Maybe it was, maybe she had a son that had been falsely imprisoned for something he was not guilty of. Maybe it's a case where he had a, there was a man who had molested her daughter and, she, and this man was still on the loose and she wanted this to be rectified. We don't know what it was, but the judge knew one thing. Everybody say he knew one thing. The judge knew that if he didn't take care of the situation, she was going to keep knocking on his door until the day she died. He knew that she would keep walking around his house if she did not get justice. The judge knew that there was no quit in this persistent widow. I wonder what the judge knows about you. How desperate are you for a miracle? Are you desperate enough to pray through the night? How many times are you going to knock on the door until the day that you die? 
How long and how loud will you knock on the door? Until you knock the door down, desperate measures. If you aren't desperate, then you're not going to take desperate measures. But if you pray like you know that God, it, de- it depends on God, and that's the only way the answer's coming, the biggest miracles and the best promises will remain out of your prayer reach until you pray like you know that it depends on God. Amen. But if you learn how to knock on heaven's door, like this persistent widow, God will honor your bold prayers. Why? Because your bold prayers honor God. I know her, th- this lady in Scripture, her methodology was kind of unusual. She could have just waited for the court date and then showed up and said, Judge, I, I've got a question for you. She kind of went beyond uh, the, the protocol when she showed up at his private residence. She kind of crossed the line there, wouldn't you say? To show up at the personal residence of a judge and, uh, and break protocol and try to get his attention. I want to tell you now that the God that we serve, he doesn't care about protocol. Amen. If God was concerned about protocol, he would have chosen Pharisees to be his disciples, not the fishermen. But he's looking for people that don't care about protocol, that are desperate to get the attention of God, that say, I just believe that if I knock, if I ask, if I seek, that God is going to respond to my desire. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Jesus honors those that break out of the orthodox to get his attention. Amen. Jesus honored the prostitute who, I could stop right there. Jesus honored the prostitute who crashed a party at the Pharisee's home to anoint her feet. And Jesus honored her. She broke protocol. She made people nervous. Jesus honored the tax collector who climbed a tree in maybe a three-piece suit just so he could catch a glimpse of Jesus as Jesus was walking by. In this parable, Jesus honored the woman who drove a judge crazy because she wouldn't stop knocking. Jesus honored the four friends who cut in line and then finally tore a hole in the roof of a stranger's house to get the person through to his presence. What's the common denominator? Each of these stories have an element of holy desperation and an understanding that my only answer is from God and I'm going to do what it takes uh, to get his attention. And I want to tell you that God still honors those spiritual desperados who will crash parties and climb trees. He's still honoring those who defy protocol with their bold and aggressive faith-filled prayers. Her unrelenting persistence, this widow woman, was the only difference between justice and injustice. I want to talk for a minute about this right now. I know that one of the things that happen in life is when we don't get our prayers answered, it impacts negatively our ability to pray. It's easy to give up on your prayers, to give up on your dreams, to give up on the miracles and the promises of God, and to lose heart, lose patience, and lose faith when we prayed for something and we didn't get the answer. An example that, that, that I could use is if you've ever had a slow leak in one of your tires in your car and uh, it, it, you, you can't watch it going down, you can't see it happen, but you get there in the morning and your car's not going to be moving because all the air has leaked out of the tire. And like a, a slow leak, it often happens without us even knowing until our prayer life gets a flat. And we're not praying anymore. We're not believing God anymore because we asked God, we prayed in the answer didn't come in the way that we had believed and had hoped for. Hey, can we be honest today? Any of us been there? Any of us been there where you want to fire up your, your prayer life and it's just got a flat? 
You, you've lost that passion. You've lost that faith to believe. And, and one of the greatest challenges in being a believer is to live life without getting offended. To live life without getting offended at God. Now, most of us would never admit that we were offended at God because that's kind of a scary thing to say. But it happens to us. There's one thing, one story in Scripture where, where uh, Jesus addressed this. It was in the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said there was never a greater prophet ever than John the Baptist. He was the greatest. But in Jesus' ministry, miracles were happening everywhere. Blind eyes were be op- being opened. Evil spirits were being cast out. People were being delivered from oppression. People were being delivered from all kinds of different things. And the forerunner of Jesus Christ is sitting in a prison cell facing the potential of the death penalty. And while all these miracles are happening, his deliverance doesn't come. And so finally he sends some of his followers to ask a question of Jesus. So these were ones who came to the prison to attend to John's needs. They left. Now you understand that John ended up dying in prison. His head was taken off. So they sent and said, Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? I wonder what was going through his head. He was like, if he's really the Messiah, what am I doing here? Why haven't I been delivered? Why hasn't my prayer been answered? Imagine John didn't want to be in prison. He's a normal human being, right? He wants to be out with his friends. He wants to be out doing all the things that they did during that era. But he's stuck in prison. So he's like, I don't know if he's really the Messiah or not. I, I, I spoke, I declared, I, I heard the voice of God. I knew that he was the one that would take away the sins of the world. But now in my situation, I'm not sure. So they sent and they, they, they showed up where Jesus was ministering. And Jesus was in the middle of working, performing miracle after miracle after miracle. And John the Baptist's own disciples said, Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another? John wants to know. He said, go tell John that the blind are seeing, that the gospel is being preached to the poor, that blind eyes are being opened. Oh, and by the way, blessed are those that are not offended in me. Which means, John, if you can sit there and watch deliverance while you're not getting delivered and not get offended in God, but trust that God knows what he's doing, then you are going to be powerfully blessed. I want to tell you right now that when it's tough, it's a challenge. When you're praying and asking God and you hear the the testimonies of the miracles in other people's lives and you're not seeing it happen in your life, it's a test and you could easily get offended. But it takes great faith to keep knocking when you see everybody else getting their answer and you seem like you're just knocking on on a block of wood. It takes faith to not get offended in the Lord. I want to tell you right now that in this experience called life, when you've been knocking and you see other people get the blessing and you don't it can take the it can take the air right out of your tires but i want to encourage you today somebody needs to start knocking again somebody needs to start believing again somebody needs to learn their lot to live their life unoffended amen because one thing's for sure all prayers may not be answered but i can guarantee you this a hundred percent of prayers not prayed won't get answered you don't ask 
Amen. And sometimes because we didn't get the answer we wanted back here, we, we stop asking. We stop knocking because we're frustrated or we're upset with God. And some of the hardest moments of life are when we have prayed and the answer is no. And you still don't know why. And, and you may never know why. You may never know why. This is a litmus test of your trust in God. Do you, can you still believe that God is for you even when he doesn't give you what you asked for? Can you trust that God has reasons beyond your reason? Can you trust that God's plan is better than yours? It's a big question, right? It's a tough question because we see other people get the answer. We see other people get what we want. And we ask God and we don't get it. Now, the reality is there are some mysteries that won't be revealed to us until we cross into eternity. And listen to me. This is the, 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 the crux of what I'm sharing with you today. The hardest thing about continuing to knock is enduring unanswered prayers. That's the hardest thing. That's the one thing that will get you to stop knocking. And just think how the devil has won a victory. When God doesn't answer your prayer for his reasons, and because God doesn't answer your prayer for his reasons, you stop knocking. So no longer is God's power accessed through you and the enemy has shut down your capability to make an impact on his realm. People of God, do you have the courage, even when God hasn't answered your prayer like you thought he would, to continue to be a prayer warrior, to continue to knock on heaven's door, to continue to believe that God's going to send revival to your family, to continue to believe that God's going to make a way? I know this is straight talk today, but God is looking for people who can stare in the face the fact that God didn't answer one of their prayers and say, I can still trust that he's on the throne. I still trust uh, that he's able, and I'm going to still go before his throne. I'm going to still cry out to God. I know we've been there before. Some of you have been sitting on flat for a while, but the word of God today is an adjustment because there are resources, there's power, there's anointing, there's something in the heavens that God has for you, but he needs you to get knocking again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And an unresolved anger toward God can undermine your faith. Amen. And when you don't understand why something happened, it's easy for us to become angry. But I want to I challenge you to take up this practice. This is a practice, this is what you can do. Because a lot of times when somebody's angry, we say this, we say they need to, they, they let off some steam. You ever heard that phrase before? He's just letting off steam. He's venting. He's letting off steam. And a lot of times you see people do this in traffic. Because all you do is like accidentally start to move into their lane and all of a sudden they're like, rah, rah, veins popping out and middle fingers flying everything is crazy and you're like all i did was like almost move into your lane and the reality is is they're not that mad at you they're just mad and you happen to be the recipient of the steam let me tell you right now when you get upset at god he doesn't mind being the recipient of your steam and one of the best things you can do is find the closet of prayer, find a place where you can have it out with God. When I look at the book of Psalms, I see David having it out with God. Now, you may read it in King James Version with a, a British accent, sound like Brother Stone King. Uh, Lord, I wonder why you have done this to me. Why hast thou whippest me? 
But, but I just put it in common language and imagine somebody with a little growl in their voice and David and the psalmist is having it out with God. And God doesn't mind it when you get in the secret place uh, and you just tell God, God, I don't understand what you're doing. You can pour it out. See, the problem is you don't need to hold it. You need to let off some steam, but you need to let it off in the right place. Uh, some of you are letting it off on your spouse. Uh, some of you are letting it off on your kids. Uh, you need to get in the prayer room and let it pour out uh, because he can absorb your anger and turn it in to peace. That's the power of the prayer room. That's the power of the place of prayer. God can take your frustration. God can take your anger. God can absorb it and turn it into an unexplainable peace. Praise God. Amen. Peace that transcends understanding that guards your heart and guards your mind. See, sometimes the answer is no and and we're not going to understand. But the good news is, is that what we perceive as an unanswered prayer are sometimes... The greatest answers to prayer. Because sometimes we pray amiss. We know what our heart wants. The heart wants what it wants. We know what, what our heart wants. And we're, we're praying. But God knows best. And sometimes, Garth Brooks said it this way, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. He ta- Have you heard that song before? I've shared that with you before. He, he's, he's uh, singing about being at the county fair, which is like a southern thing, right? At the county fair, he sees the girl who he used to date, and he's there with his wife and his kids. And he sees the girl that he used to date, and his mind goes back to that time when she jilted him. And he cried out to God and said, God, if you're in heaven, can you please make this man mine? Lord, send me. Amen. And uh, she was, he, 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 was, uh, he was praying, Lord, if it's your will. If it's your will, make this work out. Make her like me. And then he's sitting there years later. He looks at his wife. He looks at his family and says, God, thanks for not answering that prayer. (laughs) You ever been there before? You ever been there before? See, because we have a heavenly father that loves to give good gifts to his children. But sometimes in order to give the best, he has to say no to what we think is good. I have... Uh, my kids, when they were smaller, when we'd go into a, a store, what's the name of that store that has all the little little stuff that the girls like? Spencer or what? In the mall. What's it? Uh, Spencer. <laughs> oh, that's a bad store, huh? When I was a kid, it wasn't. I think it's kind of migrated bad. Kind of. What's the store I'm thinking of? Justice. Ju- is it Claire's? Claire's, whatever. Anyway, when my kids... <laughs> Sorry about that. I get myself in trouble. Is my face red? Uh, when ever we go into a store, all my kids thought they had to get something to the point where, like, I didn't want to take them in the store because they all thought they had to get something every time we went into the store. And most of the time, it was trash. Most of the time, it was stuff that only cost me two or three bucks. But I know it's a waste of money and and it's going to teach them bad values, and they're going to buy something and be totally disinterested in it, and in a few hours, it's going to be in the trash. Because as a father, I want to give them something good. I want to be able to bless them with something good. But as a kid, they're walking out of the store, tears streaming down their face after they've thrown a fit. That's your kids, not mine. After after they've thrown a fit, and they're upset, and they're bitter. Dad, you never buy me anything. You never give me anything. See, that's what we do when we don't get our prayers answered. We prayed and we asked God and, and we don't trust that our Father wants the best for us. Amen? 
Because I, I want to take you out for a steak dinner. That's why I didn't buy you a snow cone. Come on now. I, I want to give the best to you. And our Heavenly Father is that way. Can we trust? Uh, instead of throwing a fit and getting angry when God doesn't answer our prayer the way that we want it to be. See, some our problems, we think we're smarter than God. That's your problem. That's why you're so upset. You think you have more insight than your Heavenly Father who sees the end from the beginning? Who knows the number of hairs on your head? Who was there watching when you were born and he's already there watching right now at your funeral? He knows your life from beginning to end and you know better than him you're going to get mad at him? In the name of Jesus, I challenge somebody here today to receive the word of the Lord and trust that my God knows what I need, but he wants me to keep on knocking. He wants me to keep on praying. He wants me to keep on asking, and he wants me to keep on believing. Come on, somebody. Can you praise him? Can you worship him? Can you believe that God will do it for you? And So I want to challenge you when you have those Moments, those moments that could best be defined as, God, what is going on? I'm talking about the moment when you're asking God for something, and not only is God not answering, it seems like he is opposing you. Have you been there before? Where it seems like God is opposing you? (sighs) Praise God. Now, you remember the story of Balaam? He was going to do a contract job and curse the children of Israel. And while he was on the way... His donkey became obstinate. You remember that story? And the donkey, he was like, the stubborn donkey, beating on it. Come on. Well, the, the thing is, is there was an angel standing in the way. Balaam couldn't see it, but the donkey could see it. So God was using obstacles to keep Balaam from a bad situation. And sometimes God does oppose us, but not because he's mad at us, because we're so headstrong and stubborn to do something that's going to bring harm to us. And sometimes God's opposition is a blessing and favor to us. He got mad and kicked the donkey. If God can use a donkey to stop Balaam from making a bad choice, God can use situations in your life to block you from the second or the third best so that you can't experience God's best for you. This is one thing I've learned in my life. When I see a door close and I get mad, I all of a sudden turn around and get excited because that lets me know that God has something that's ultimately going to be better for me it's going to be better for us and we trust come on now that God is for us come on somebody shout that out God is for us hallelujah despite evidence to the contrary God is fighting for us he's on our sides and I'm grateful that God doesn't answer all my prayers So part of knocking on heaven's door is persisting in prayer, even when we don't get the answers we want. Choosing to believe that God has a better plan. And some of us, some of us give up too soon. We stop knocking because we feel like we failed if God doesn't answer our prayers. That's not failure. The only way you can fail is to stop knocking. The only way you can fail is to stop knocking. This weekend, if we could have the musicians come, this weekend there was a a story that was shared by Brother Galoni, who was one of the presbyters, presbyter in uh, San Diego. And uh, he graduated class of 1969 as a Navy SEAL down off of the coast of San Diego. 
one of the most rigorous and aggressive trainings that a person can go through. And uh, in fact, the people that start the Navy SEAL training program, the percentage that completes the program is less than 25% of those world-class individuals that start out in this process. He described for us in vivid detail what Hell Week was like, an entire week of aggressive training with overall, over a whole week, four hours of sleep, not four hours per night, four hours for the week. And he talked about his body longing for food, and then when they put the food in front of him, his face would fall right into the food from from weariness. And uh, they said that the people that make it through Hell Week, the people that make it through the, the, the Navy SEAL training are not the strongest guys, not the best swimmers, the most athletic. But they say there's one thing, one characteristic about every Navy SEAL that makes it through the process, and it's this word. The word is resiliency. Resiliency, which means things can go wrong, but they get up again. Things can bend them out of shape, but they come back into their original shape again. And there's something about these individuals that come through the process and make it to the end is that they said, we're going to make this happen. We're going to continue. And to be a warrior in faith, to be spiritually a difference maker for the kingdom of God, you've got to possess this. And the best way that this is manifest is by when we continue knocking, even when we haven't gotten answers, even when we've gone through disappointments, even when God didn't answer in the way that we had hoped that he would. But we continue. We continue to knock. I want to share with you that your Bible, your Bible is full of the promises of God. And in in your Bible, in your Bible, most estimates are that there are over 3,000 promises in the word of God. And this week, as you engage in this time of fasting, I want to encourage you to link it with time in the Word and prayer. Because the Bible wasn't designed just to be read through, it was designed to be prayed through. What would happen if you pulled together the discipline of prayer with the discipline of reading the Bible and linked them together? And whenever you're reading through the Bible, I'm going to tell you, if you'll read the Bible in a translation you can understand, God will begin to speak to you from the Word. He'll speak hope. He'll speak correction. He'll speak peace. There's promises all through the book. And I want to encourage you, whenever you see a promise this week in the Bible, I want you to either circle it or underline it and begin to pray that promise. Can you do that? Because, uh, you know, the deal is, if you're praying, a lot of people go and they want to pray and uh, I was talking with one of my children recently and, and they said, if I were to pray an hour, what would I say? I just ask for the same thing for an hour straight. What do I say? And a lot of times when we don't learn how to pray the word, the reason we can't pray is not because we lack desire, but it's because we don't have anything to say. And, and it just uh, denigrates into small talk, if you would. But if we learn to pray the word of God while you're reading the word, you can read the word and begin to read it out loud, especially the Psalms and the Proverbs and begin to pray and begin to call on the Lord because guess what? The promises of the word of God are rock solid. You're standing on something solid.
So that means you can pray with a little bit of swagger. You can pray with a little bit of confidence because you know you have a written promise. You've circled it. You've underlined it. And now you're praying it. And this week, I want you to, I want to encourage you. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I feel a liberty in this place that God wants to make an adjustment in our spirits this week because you're good people. Your hearts are in the right place, but you've fallen off the wagon. You've fallen off the wagon. I know some of us have fallen off the wagon. Our wheels have gone flat, but God is saying again, I've got resources for you. I've got things I want to bring into your life. The best that I have for you will not be accessed unless you ask and seek and knock. So I want to encourage you to pray the promises of God. Pray the promises of the word of the Lord. Amen. And the Bible says, as we mentioned already in, in, in Matthew 18 and 18, it says, if you bind it on earth, he'll bind it in heaven. And if you loose it on earth, he will loose it in heaven. That means there's a contract made when you declare. You have power with your mouth. You have power through prayer to establish things. Do you guys believe this? In the heavens to, to speak it and to declare it. And the deal is, is as long as you're knocking on the door. It's me again, Lord. I'm believing you for my kids. I'm believing you for a miracle for my spouse. I'm believing, Lord Jesus, that you'll open a door and make a way. It's me again, Lord. I'm praying for my coworkers. I'm back here again saying, God, see, we, we give up so quick, but there's something about the resilient spirit that says, God, I know it looks like they're getting farther from you, but I, I, I'm knocking again. I'm knocking on heaven's door. I'm asking again, and I'm believing again, because as long as you're knocking, you're displaying faith. Why? Because as long as you are knocking, you believe that an answer is coming. But the minute you stop knocking and walk away, you have indicated that I no longer believe that an answer is coming. That's why I'm walking away. Amen? When you go knock on the door, somebody's door, if you're going in the neighborhood knocking doors, if you're like me, the way when I started knocking doors, it was like, God, I hope nobody's home. Because I was nervous to talk to people and didn't want people to get mad and slam the door in my face. But when you get to a door and somebody you need to get an answer, like you got home from work and you forgot your key and you're trying to get in your house and you're not getting an answer and you just keep pounding on the door because you believe you know somebody's there. As long as you know somebody's there, you're going to keep knocking it, man. And sometimes you can get a little cray-cray if you really want to get an answer. You're trying to get an answer. You're trying to get an answer. And as long as you're knocking, you're indicating, I believe that an answer is coming. And let me tell you that eventually the door is going to be open because the Bible says, he that knocketh, the door shall be opened. It may not be today. It may not be this week. But if you keep knocking, amen, there is an answer. There's an answer that's coming. There's an answer that's coming. I love the story when uh, Peter had been taken in prison, in the infancy of the church, and he's imprisoned. James had already been slain, one of the first apostles, and now Peter, their spokesman and default leader, is in prison. And uh, so they decide to do something radical. They said, let's just pray until we get an answer. Let's just pray. So guess what? They prayed all through the night. 
They prayed to the middle of the night. Anybody ever been involved in a prayer vigil before where you just pray all through the night? Seems a little bit crazy. Seems a little bit extreme, a little bit radical, but they were desperate. They said, we need Peter. And God, we're asking that you deliver him. And so they were in that place, lifting up their voice and knocking on heaven's door. And while they were knocking on heaven's door, they heard a knock on their door. And when the, the little um, lady went out there, the, the uh, servant lady went out to open the door. Who was standing at the door other than Peter himself? Because God had miraculously opened the doors of the prison and brought him out. Amen? And there's going to be a moment while you're knocking on heaven's door, and then you're going to hear a knock. And that's the answer coming back to you in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand our feet right now? Thank you, Jesus. that moment of the favor of God there's that moment of an answered prayer there's that moment of an open door that's coming but it's not coming for those that stop knocking unfortunately it's not coming for those that stop knocking so my challenge today to you is just keep knocking even if you've had disappointments along the way even if you ask God for something that didn't happen keep knocking but because because to those that knock the door shall be open and there's that moment of the favor of God. I want us to pray right now and ask that God would take this adjustment and put it into our spirit. That we could even this week put it into practice as we engage in a time of fasting and prayer. That we'll begin to call upon the name of the Lord. That we'll pray the word of God. And I want first of all for us to pray for ourselves and then we're going to pray for the person next to us. So if you want to put your hand on, on, your, on your chest, put your hand on yourself right here. And say, Lord, I pray that this word would get in my spirit. I pray today, Lord Jesus, that this adjustment by your word would be more than just a temporary feeling, a temporary emotion, or a few words that have grazed my intellect. But I pray right now, Jesus, that this would be impressed into my spirit. That, Lord, that I would be back to the fire and the faith and the vigor to pray and to believe you for something powerful something supernatural I pray that you would let the gifts of the spirit operate through me that you would let your anointing come upon me that you would give me great faith to believe you for great things again Lord God and whatever it is Lord Jesus that has destroyed the intimacy whatever it is Lord God that took away my faith uh, and took away that tenderness for you Lord Jesus uh, I pour it out to you right now because I want uh, this to begin to work in my life uh, this week in Jesus name let me put it into practice uh, now reach over if it's appropriate put your hand on your neighbor or take them by the hand and let's pray for one another God if we're going to have revival in this church uh, and we are Lord God if we're going to have a move of the spirit in this church uh, if we're going to see people delivered and we are God I want you to begin to flow through my brother and whatever it is that the enemy tried to do to stop him from knocking to stop her from knocking on heaven's door I pray right now Lord God uh, that you would let it be restored restore the fire and the vision and the passion within them Lord Jesus uh, hallelujah to begin to pursue after your presence uh, and to believe for great and mighty things uh, in the name of Jesus uh, in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus come on there's something
something that's being birthed in here right now. There's something that's being adjusted in here right now. The devil's lies are being exposed and the truth of God's word is coming to the forefront. Faith is being restored. Passion and fire is being restored. Faith in the ability of God to work on your behalf is being restored in this place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. Last thing is, I want you to just lift up your hands as a sign of surrender and say, God, use me, Lord Jesus, use me this week. Let your spirit flow through me, Lord God. Let me be a vessel. Hallelujah. Sometimes I don't know what to pray for, but let your spirit, uh, hallelujah, pray through me with groanings that cannot be uttered. I pray, Jesus, that you would use this vessel as a tool of intercession. Let your purpose and your plan be done through me, Lord Jesus. Hakataya, I surrender this vessel to you, Lord God. I gave you my life a long time ago. And once again, Lord Jesus, this week as I deny myself, I give this body to prayer. I give this physical being to intercession. Use me this week. Use me for revival in my workplace. Use me to see revival among my friends. Use me to see revival in my family. Use me to see revival in my church. Flow through me in the gift of intercession this week. I pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. If you believe God hears you right now, put your hands together and just praise him. Hallelujah.